0: Good morning, church. Glad you're either here with us today or I'm glad you're tuning in online for the first Sunday of 2021. I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then I'm going to tell you where we're going as far as the series goes. And uh, we're going to get right into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful, Lord, for this new year, for this time that we can come together and worship you, whether it be here in person or virtually online. Just thankful for the technology that we have. I just pray, Lord, that as we uh, continue to study your word, that it encourages us and inspires us to live for you each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're starting a new series and for the next eight weeks we're going to study eight of the psalms and I'm calling the series Psalms of Encouragement. These are psalms that remind us of the fact that God is good and he takes care of his people. Now I know this to be true. After all of the unknowns in this past year, the pandemic, political unrest, Just in general, the sense of the world being in chaos, I know that we all need a healthy dose of encouragement to start our year off right. So I believe that these eight Psalms for the next eight weeks are going to give us a little bit of help with that. So today we're going to start off with Psalm 10 and we're going to study through the whole Psalm and although we're not a hundred percent sure of the author of this Psalm, most would attribute it to David and most likely it was written under King Saul who gave David a lot of trouble to say the least. The reason most believe this is because at the end of the psalm, you'll see in verse 16, it says, The Lord is the king forever and ever, which is a constant reminder and a comfort for someone that's living under a bad king. So although this psalm does not seem like a psalm of encouragement for the first 11 verses, the last seven are going to bring us encouragement and hope. So the psalmist actually starts off with a question. And the question is Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know what? Sometimes when things get so insanely bad, even very godly people wonder or ask this What in the world's going on, God? Where are you? How can you stand by and allow this to happen? Where are you even seeing this mess? Now, some of you may have felt this way over this past year with the global pandemic, financial ruin of many small businesses, political unrest, mistrust of authorities, riots, protesting, looting, false media. It's caused everyone at some point to say, what in the world is going on? Now, the sad part is sometimes we fall into the trap of blaming this on God or blame it on his seemingly absence from the situation. The psalmist is at this point and he falls into this trap because he's, he is seeing the sin of pride running rampant and God is not stopping it. Okay, he's seeing sin, the sin of pride running rampant and God is not stopping it. So he goes on to point out the injustice and the wrong that he is seeing and that's happening at the hands of prideful people. So what's gonna happen in verses two through 11, they're gonna teach us seven things about pride and the results that it brings. The thing about pride is it's something that we actually tolerate in ourselves but we hate it when we see it in other people. So oftentimes we're actually blinded to the pride in our own lives and that's what's happening right now in the lives of the people that are filled with pride. They're actually blinded to it so they're doing these acts based upon their own pride. So he starts off with this. Pride is arrogant. Now arrogance is an exaggerated sense of one's importance. So an arrogant, a prideful, arrogant person would think, you know what, I'm more important than other people. So he says this. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. So now what's happening is he's seeing that there are people that have more. They're probably wealthy people, powerful people. They're taking advantage of the poor and the powerless. Then he inserts some advice to the Lord. He gives some advice. He says, let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. So if they're devising schemes, let that backfire on them. Now, pride convinces us that we're actually better than others, especially when it comes to money and possessions. We actually become arrogant. And that's what was happening with these people. The next is pride is greedy. Pride is greedy. Let's look at verse three. It says for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Now, prideful people normally care about their own needs, their own desires. And when they don't get those things, They actually shake their fist at God. They blame him. They curse him. The next is pride is atheistic. Being an atheist, there is no God. And this is what it says. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. So the prideful person does not seek God. And in many cases, does not even believe there is a God because they are so full of themselves and their own ideas, that they don't see a need for God. The logical conclusion for them is there must be no God. That's why he says in his, in his thoughts, there is no God. In fact, they look at people like you and I who believe that there is a God, and they look at us and they think that they're, we're weak and we're needy. That's why Karl Marx suggested that religion is a drug for the people or the opium of the masses. You know, this is an interesting thing because that criticism pretty much sums up humility, which is the opposite of pride. Because you see, we as believers we're willing to admit in humility that we are actually weak. We are actually needy and we need to look to God for help. But see, pride is atheistic. The next is pride is unrealistic. Pride is unrealistic. Verses 5 through 6 says it this way. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Now the prideful person Thinks that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and there's not going to be any consequences. They're never going to get caught up that they're actually the judge, that God's judgments are far off. If there is a God, his judgments are far off. In fact, the person has such an unrealistic view of life. They think that nothing bad can happen and no one can ever come against them, which brings us to the next thing about pride. And it's pride is belligerent, hostile, aggressive. That's a belligerent person. Now it says this in verse seven, it says, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. You know this guy, right? Loud, crass, the road rage guy, the shady guy, always looking for something sinful to get himself into, always looking for trouble. If someone says something to him that, that, you know, you're doing something wrong, he freaks out. And who are you to say anything? This is that prideful, belligerent person. Next is pride is evil. Pride is evil. In verses 8 through 9, it says this, He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. See, this prideful person has the evil intent. The evil intent of the prideful person is trying to harm other people, planning schemes to rip people off, planning schemes to harm people. Then it comes down to the final thing that this psalm teaches us about pride. And it's simply this. Pride has bad theology. Theology is what we believe about God. And this prideful person, or when we fall into pride, it it affects our theology what we believe about God. And here's what he says. It says this, the helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. You see, sometimes what happens is this, in their evil intent, their evil wins for a time. They take advantage of others and they get what they want. And this validates their bad theology. They look and they say, you know what? God has forgotten you. He has hidden his face. He'll never save you. He'll never help you. So he or she, this prideful person, sees sees a God that doesn't care. A God that's turning a blind eye toward the issues that you're dealing with. In fact, he sees a God or she sees a God that seems like That God doesn't even know what's going on. So if this Psalm stopped right here, we would have no hope. We would have a prideful person with bad theology, bad thoughts about who God is and what God has done. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, wake up, Mr. and Mrs. Prideful. Okay, Psalm 10 has some news for you. And the news for you is you're wrong. You're actually wrong. So we see that pride what pride looks like and the results that it brings. Now we're going to see a transition in this psalm. Instead of the psalmist questioning and accusing God like he did in the beginning, remember he said, Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide your face in times of trouble? Remember, that's how he started. He does two things, and these two things bring us encouragement. And this is what we so desperately need, right? We need encouragement. So the two things he does is he prays and, this, and he remembers the truth. So let's start off with his prayer. What does he say in his prayer? He says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? So here's what he does. He calls on God in prayer. And this is an encouragement to know that we can ask the Lord in prayer to deal with whatever situation that we are going through and whatever injustice or evil comes our way and is going on around us. This is an encouragement to know that God actually does listen to our prayer. So so he asked God not to forget those that are in trouble. And notice he also asked God, why would the wicked even believe that you will not hold them accountable for their sin? So in some senses, he prays for the afflicted, but he also prays for the wicked, doesn't he? He says, why, why would these people even believe that you're not there, that you won't help, that you won't stop them, that you won't hold them accountable for what they've done. So the next way that he brings encouragement is this, he remembers the truth. Now this is so important for us as believers because we are constantly reminded through God's word of the truths about God. And if we don't study God's word, if we don't read God's word, if we don't get into God's word, guess what? We're not gonna remember things that we never learned. So we need to learn these truths, these and many others. But what the psalmist does is he remembers these five truths about God. And the first truth is this. The truth is God sees and helps. He says this. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. So here's what he does. He says, basically, no matter what happens, God does see and God does help. Now, this brings up an important question. What if God doesn't seem like he's helping at some point or another? Well, I I would like to tell you, I wish I knew the answer to that in every situation. But here's what I do know. He sees it. He knows what's going on and he has the power to help. But maybe that help doesn't look exactly the way you thought it should. God does see and God does help, but he may act in a way that you might not see it right away or you might not think it's help right away. But you have to know this truth about God. God sees and he helps. The next truth is God holds people accountable. God holds people accountable. Let's look at verse 15. It says, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. You know what? The truth about this verse is it's comforting and it's scary at the same time, right? He starts off, break the arm of the wicked. That doesn't sound too comforting, does it? Okay, so it's comforting and scary at the same time. It's scary because it reminds us That when we sin, we are held accountable for it. Meaning we have to pay. Payment needs to be taken for our sin. And the truth is, and this is where the good news comes in. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So the good news is, is the payment for our sin is actually death. And this is talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God. That doesn't sound good, right? Right. But here's the real good news. It's comforting because it reminds us of the gospel. Because Jesus was willing to pay the price for our sins. See, when this was written, this was on the other side of the cross. Now we're on the backside, right? We're on the other side of the cross. This was written before the cross. Now we know and we realize the implications of the cross. That all the wickedness and all the sin was placed on Jesus. And he died in our place for our sins. His death was paying our sin debt. Now, the only way God the Father can see no sin in us, he says, call his wickedness to account until you find none. The only way that the Father can find no sin in us is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only way that we allow Jesus to pay for our sins is by trusting that he has done that, is by trusting the fact that he died on the cross He rose from the grave and he said, all who believe will have eternal life. So the truth is God holds people accountable for their sin unless their sin is taken on the cross by Christ and they allow their sin to be given to him. The next truth is this, that God is the king. God is the king. Let's look at verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Now, again, like I said in the beginning, this psalm was most likely written by David during the time that he was under King Saul. King Saul was not good to David. So guess what? David found comfort in, you know what? I have a bad king right now, but guess who's the king forever? The Lord is the king forever. This is the truth. No matter what, Now, I know now we can fast forward to right now. Who's the king? Who's in charge? Who's in political office? We can look at those things, maybe get discouraged by those things. But you know what? We as believers have to remember, Jesus is still the king. Everybody has to answer to him. Everybody will bow down to him. He is the one in charge. The next truth is God gives strength. Verse 17 says this, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline their ear. Now, this is an encouragement here because when we're looking at a situation that we know we can handle, and I've talked about this before, right? We know we can't handle. God gives us his strength so that we can move through the affliction that we're in. He gives us his strength so we can move through the affliction that we're in. And notice he says, Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear. That means when we're humble enough to actually say to God, I can't handle this, I need you to help me. Guess what? His ear turns a listen to us and he realizes that we realize We're not being prideful right now and saying, I can handle this. We're actually being humble and saying, you know what, God, I need your strength to pass through this affliction, whatever it might be, whether it's a financial thing, whether it's a persecution thing, whether it's a health thing, whether it's a relational thing, no matter what, the truth is God is willing to give you the strength. You just need to go to him and ask him, admit that you can't handle it. Now, finally, the truth is God will bring justice. It says this, You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Do you realize this to be true? Jesus has the final word. He is the ultimate judge. He will ultimately bring justice. Some say, you know what? Read the last page because you realize this, that he is the winner. Jesus is the winner. And guess what? Because we're on Jesus' team, we're also winners as well. The encouragement we have as believers is that in God's economy, he wins, justice is served, and the future is great for those that trust him. Because our future home is with Him. And when I say future, I mean future, future, not here and now on this earth, future. Our future home is with Him. We are on His team, and He will bring about ultimate justice for eternity. Now, this morning, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we're going to observe communion. And communion is actually a great time to remember that win, because the first win was when Christ died on the cross for us. When his body was broken, and his blood was shed for us. It was actually winning us. Okay. It was winning us because guess what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, the scriptures say. But Christ died to pay the price for our sins. So when we come together as believers, we're actually consistently remembering that win, that Jesus laid down his life for us. But the second thing that we do is we're actually taking the sins that we're struggling with and we lay them at the foot of the cross. Telling Jesus, you know what? I can't do this on my own like we talked about. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength for this. I can't do this without you. I need victory in this area. I need you to help me in this area. So no matter what you're struggling with, maybe it is something like we talked about this morning. Maybe you look and see the prideful and see things going wrong and you're starting to doubt God. What's going on? Is he even there? Well, that's a sin. It's a sin to doubt that he's even there because he truly is. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else you're struggling with. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's um, some some of the things that you're saying. Maybe it's a relational sin. Whatever that sin is, Here's what Jesus wants you to do. Give it to him. Let him take it. Let him nail it to the cross. Let him forgive you. Don't wallow in guilt and shame. One of Satan's biggest tools in your life is to make you feel like you're worthless. And that's not true. You're worth so much that the God of this universe was willing to lay his life down for you. So now this morning, what I want to do is I'm just going to give you a few moments of silence that you can spend just, you know, you and God, and then we're going to partake together. So I'll give you a few moments of silence. Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He says, this is the cup of my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's bow in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the encouragement from your word. We know, Lord, that when we read through psalms like this and we see things going on that we don't like, that we don't agree with, that are just pure evil that stem from pride. Sometimes it can be very discouraging, but like the psalmist did, he turned to you and he prayed and then he remembered all the things that are true about who you are and what you've done and the fact that you in the end win that you will institute justice and that Lord we're so thankful that you are willing to save us from our own sin and from our own selves. Lord, we pray as we start in 2021 that we would be people of encouragement, that we would take these things and go out to wherever we're going, whether it be school, work, neighborhood, friends, family, and be encouragers, not to be bogged down by the things of this world, but realize that you love us, you serve us, And you encourage us. And for us as believers, the future is looking bright. So we want to spread that message to each person that we're around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.